It's okay, Madeline. The sermon's on patience, so. <laughs> yeah, we can practice. Um, yes, we are talking about patience today. Patience is waiting. Um, all of us are waiting for something. And many of us are waiting for God to do something. In her book called Holy the Firm, there's a lady called Annie Dillard, and she writes, she attends a small church somewhere in the States, and the population of this church is about 20 people. And uh, she says, the minister is a Congregationalist, and he wears a white shirt. And she said, the man knows God. And she said, once in the middle of a long pastoral prayer of intercession for the whole world, so he prays for the whole world in, in the prayer. He prays for the gift of wisdom to its leaders, for hope and mercy to the grieving and the pained. He prayed for succor to the oppressed, and he prayed for God's grace to all. In the middle of this prayer, he stopped and he burst out and he said, Lord, we bring you these same petitions every week. And after a shock pause, he continued reading the prayer out. Because of this, Andy Dillard writes, I like him very much. <laughs> All of us have things we want to see happen. And I'd like you to think with me this morning. What is something you've been asking God to do and you're waiting for him to do it? Maybe you're praying for the salvation of a loved one. Maybe you're praying for healing for something in your life that is broken and isn't fixed yet. Maybe you're waiting for a sense of peace about a situation. Maybe you're waiting for a situation to change and to turn around. I've been praying for my family for a lot of years. And in particular, I'm praying for my nieces and my nephews. And uh, there's not much faith in that generation. And it's beginning to hit me now. And so I'm praying for them. But it hasn't happened yet. I haven't got it yet. The most frustrating thing about waiting is that by definition, is waiting is uh, waiting for something that to happen that is out of your control. You can't change it. You can't fix it. And Christians are people who wait. Ultimately, we, of course, are waiting for the Lord's return, which we know will set everything right. And some of you have been waiting for change in your situation for a long time. And there's no sign of change. Jesus has a word for you this morning. For the last few weeks, we've been traveling with Jesus in the, the book of Luke. And uh, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to die. And so he invites his disciples to come along and, and watch and to learn about discipleship. He has announced his death a few times. And he says, you know, what? I'm going to go there. And when I get there, they're going to kill me. I'm going to die. Uh, but three days later, I'm going to live again. And then he invites them to come. Come, die with me. Let's go to Jerusalem and die. This is the essence of being a disciple. And so we've been wrestling with this concept for the last few weeks. What does it mean to be a disciple? Disciple essentially just means being a follower. So you have somebody that you admire, that you trust, that you uh, want to be like. So you follow them. You go where they go and you learn to look at life the way they look at life. And you learn to become a disciple. We have learned also in the last few weeks through Jesus in the book of Luke that within the kingdom there are, are believers in Christ and then there's, there's also disciples of Christ. The difference between a believer and a disciple is essentially who is in control of your life. Believers are those 
in which their ego is in control. Their ego being that part of them that wants to be in control. They trust Christ for salvation and they have all the right doctrinal beliefs. They could attend church. They could read Bible every day. They could be some of the hardest working Christians that you know. But in, but in essence, the ego is still under the control of the person. And so Jesus says you can live that way, but it's very difficult and you will not experience what he calls zoe in Greek or eternal life, that eternal quality of life that is characteristic by love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. But then there's disciples. And we're trying to figure out what is this disciple thing? Well, disciple is one who has said, I will kill my ego. I will, I will uh, submit authority of my life to you, Jesus Christ. And I will allow you to meet my ego needs. I will no longer have to defend my own ego. Because that's a hard battle. And people get tired of that. And so Jesus says, come to me if you're tired of fighting with your ego being in control of your life. Come to me and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My authority over you is easy compared to life when your ego was in control. And he says, come follow me. I am gentle and humble in heart. So today we're going to look, about, look at uh, discipleship from the, term, from the standpoint of patience. How does a disciple then encounter, when you encounter a situation that demands patience, when God is not coming through for you, what should our response be? The, the, word, the original word for patience is, as call, is called macrothumia. It means having a long, long fuse. If you think of a stick of dynamite when you blow... <laughs> A person with patience has a very, very long fuse. And the reason they have a long fuse is because God has a long fuse. The scripture over and over describes God as being very long-suffering. He's patient towards you. He wants us to come to repentance. He wants us to return to him. So he has a long, long fuse. In the story of the prodigal son, the father watches the son leave. He says, the son says, I'm out of here. I don't want to be under your authority. The father says, okay, here's your part of the estate. And he watches the son leave and he waits, macrothumia, patience, for the son to come home. That's what we're talking about here. Patience. So, patience is difficult when you're in the waiting room. How can life be eternal life, really, when you have to wait for it? Shouldn't we get what we want now? Especially if it's good stuff. Like, it's not like we're waiting to win the lottery here, right? It's not like we're waiting, you know, to, to get all of our wishes and dreams come through. True, we just want something good to happen. We're just waiting for something good to happen. We're waiting for justice. We're waiting for peace. We're waiting for good things to happen. So does God play games with his people who are waiting for him to fix and to, and to act? Well, in Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable. And we can ask Jesus these same things. What does it mean to wait? How does a disciple wait? What's it like to be in the waiting room? And I believe Jesus has something for us today. So let's pray just as we begin. Father, we um, submit to your authority in our own lives. And uh, thank you, Lord, for the book of Luke and what you are teaching us about what it means to be a disciple. And we are wrestling with this. I mean, this is um, a very challenging to our whole lifestyle, our whole way of looking at, at, at how we make decisions and how we do things. And I believe, Father, that you're calling us to move forward from believership, believing the right things, to becoming disciples who place ourselves totally under your authority and submit our egos to you. 
and we're struggling with this, Lord, but you know that and you give us grace. And so, Lord, we want to learn the grace of discipleship in terms of waiting. And we understand that that you have something for us today. Lord, I pray that you'd give comfort to your people today, especially those who are in difficult situations. And I think we all have something in our lives that we're waiting for you to act And we're beginning to lose patience. We're beginning to lose heart. So we thank you for this parable that is directed to those who are about to lose heart. And may you be a God of encouragement to us today. We will receive from your word and your spirit with thankful hearts. In Christ's name, Emil said. Amen. So, just before we get to the parable, I have to give you a little context. It's always good to look, if if you're looking at a passage of scripture, why is it where it is? And so uh, we've talked a little bit about the introduction to it. Jesus tells his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray or wait and not give up. The context of this, of Luke 18, is Luke 17. And in Luke 17, what happened was is the Pharisees were also coming to Jesus with a question about waiting. And we have to keep in mind that Jesus ministered to Jewish people. And if you were a Jewish person, you would know how to wait. I mean, these people were waiting all the time. They waited 400 years in captivity. And then they wandered around in wilderness for 40 years. And then they finally got their own kingdom. And then they waited for a king. And then they got a kingdom. And then other nations attacked them. And and because they followed other idols and not the Lord, the Lord took the kingdom away. So then they went into captivity another 70 years. And, and God sent you know prophets and so forth. And, and basically brought them back to their country. But now they're under Roman occupation. These pagan Romans are now in control of things. And so now they're also waiting for this Messiah to come, kick out these Romans, bring in this kingdom of peace and prosperity. So in Luke 17, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, when will your kingdom come? When, what are the signs? And Jesus says the kingdom is not like, it's not like a visible concrete thing. It's not like an army moving in with tanks and guns. He says, the kingdom is invisible. It is among you now. And then he talked about his return and the, and the conditions uh, for the rest of Luke 17, about what it's going to be like before Jesus returns. But now we're in Luke 18. And the, so the background question of Luke 18, waiting, is when will your kingdom come? And I think about that, too. As you look at this world, don't you just get sick of it sometimes? I mean, we've been given so much and... Uh, We're just mucking it up. And I get sick of this old world. I get sick of myself. I get sick of the quality of my relationships. And we each of us, I think, have this longing. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. There needs to be justice. The poor are getting poorer. The rich are getting richer. There's something wrong with this world today. And we want a good world where things work out for us. And we want it soon. And so Jesus in Luke 18 tells a parable. A story to show them, to show us that we should pray, especially when we're in situations where we feel like there is an injustice. Somebody has wronged me. It's got to get set right. And I'm waiting for justice. Jesus tells the parable to encourage us to pray and not give up. So he uses a word picture. He says, it's kind of like this. In every village, they'd have a little town uh, uh, office or something with a town judge in that time. He was a local official. And this local official would deal, would deal with the disputes of the people who could not afford a higher court. You couldn't afford a lawyer. You couldn't go to the Roman governor with your case. So you have these local officials. 
This would be the equivalent. I tried to think of what would be the equivalent, and I couldn't think of one other than maybe the mayor of your town. Now, we don't have one in La Glace other than Jesse, but, uh, you know, I don't know. He'd be a good guy to talk to, I guess. But maybe your county councilor, Richard Harp, okay? He's our guy. You know, you got, you know, your road's not getting plowed, whatever. You know, what's going on? So you go to Richard Harp and you say, Richard, you take him out, look at what's the deal, okay? And, and then Richard says, okay, I'll take your case and I'll, I'll see what I can do. That's the kind of person this was. The local official was supposed to settle differences between the locals, okay? Now, would that be a fun, fun job or not? Would you like that job? I don't think I want that job, but this is what he did. Jesus describes this particular local official as being unjust. Uh, the Greek is adikia, uh, which means unrighteous. Now, we might say, okay, what kind of guy was this? Well, he describes him this way. He says, he was a man who neither feared God nor, nor cared about people. He neither feared God nor cared about people. I would see him as something of an agnostic. He did not see himself. Judges, in the biblical sense, were supposed to be, see themselves as agents of God to apply the laws of God to God's people so that they could have justice. Okay? And in particular, they were supposed to look after the two groups that were the lowest in society, the orphans and the widows. Okay. So Jesus sets up a situation in which you have the lowest of the low coming for help. Now, this guy does not care. He does not care about what people think of him. He says, I do not care what people think of me. I do not care about the plight of these widows, even though I'm supposed to care for them. I don't care. He also doesn't care what God thinks. Yes, I am a judge, but I'm here by my own strength and my own knowledge and my own wisdom. And I'm not going to answer to God for anything. So he had no sense of being under the authority of God. He was going to answer to God in any sense for what he was doing. But the interesting thing is the guy's not a shyster. He's not dishonest. He does not take bribes. He's not crooked in that sense. In fact, he prides himself on the justice of the decisions that he makes. In fact, he has a certain reputation in the village of giving justice to people. You know people like this. They're secular, they're worldly, they're agnostic, but they try to be honest, hardworking people. Okay? This man has the authority to make quick decisions that could be followed up, but he has a problem. Jesus said, there's a problem. There's this woman, <laughs> and she's persistent. I think I put in your outline, and I'm going to change that for those of you who use the outline, I know you all do. I know you just scribble it all full of notes. Uh, but if you're scribbling there, uh, I think I had impatient widow. But that's really not right. I thought about it later. She's a persistent widow. In fact, she's very patient. Uh, I think I had the wrong word there, now that I think about it. She's persistent. So she's a widow. Now, her husband has died. And along with orphans, she's the lowest person in that culture, in that society. The poorest. She has no one to support her. She has no social services. She has no welfare. She has no government agency. And the Bible has lots, lots to say about what to do about widows. We're supposed to care for them. We're supposed to give them justice. This widow had a problem. We don't know what the problem was, but likely it had to do with money. We don't know. It might be a financial problem because when you're poor, what's always the problem? It's money, right? There's not enough of it. 
A creditor might be oppressing her. Maybe he's threatening to take away the little bit of land that she has or her home in order to pay a loan back that she's not able to pay. Think of her situation. She is she feels she's being wronged. She cannot do anything about it. So she turns to the only person in in that town, in her culture, who can help the judge. And she pleads with him. I mean, she writes him letters. She sends him emails. She sees him at the coffee shop. She, you know, she shows up at his door. Uh, she's there uh, when he's uh, going down the street. I mean, this woman is persistent. She says, I need justice. You're the only man. You're the only person that can help me. Give me justice or I'm going to lose everything. This is the cry of the oppressed. And we've all been there. Maybe you are there now. Maybe something has happened in your life and you feel it's out of your control. You want it fixed, but you cannot fix it. Someone is oppressing you. And so you cry out. And there's lots of scriptures that have this as a theme. Crying out to God, somebody who's afflicted. For example, Psalm 25. You can probably say this one with me. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God, David writes. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. That's the cry to God of somebody who is oppressed. This woman did not give up. She persisted. She knew what this judge was like, but, but he was all that she had. And she did not lose hope, even in this worldly judge who did not care about people and he did not fear God. The question I have for you as we proceed here is, don't we sometimes think that God is like this agnostic judge? I, I, I have. Um, God, do you really care? Why don't you fix this? Do you not hear what I'm saying to you? Do you not hear my prayers? I'm asking you. Psalm 75, the psalmist says, Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Defend your people. Remember how fools mock you all day long. We think, sure, God maybe hears, but he doesn't care. Because if he cared, he would fix this thing. And he would fix it now. Because he's not fixing it now, maybe he doesn't want to fix it. Maybe he doesn't care. Problem is here, I think, folks, for me and for you, it's about perspective. Our perspective is all that we have. The only perspective you have in your situation is your own two eyes. And we can't see what God is up to. And so, first of all, we lose patience with him. Or we, you know, and when we lose patience, we try to make things happen. We try to fix things. God, you're not doing anything here. So I guess I have to do that. It's like Abraham and Sarah and the Hagar incident, right? God, sure you promised us a baby, but it's been a few decades now. Uh, you know, we're kind of getting old here. And I guess you just forgot about us. So we're just going to go make a baby on our own. See? See, we take things in our own hands and then it backfires on us. I want my loved one to walk with the Lord. I want an Easter nephew to come to Christ. And they don't. And so what do I do? I either write them off or I try to force them. And in either situation works. They just get further away from the Lord. Either way, I lose patience because my fuse is short. This widow, though, she's got a long fuse. I mean, she's got macrothumia. She's slow to get hot. 
And she just keeps going and energize her bunny, right? Going and going and going and going. And Jesus said, for some time, this, this poor judge, uh, he refused. And I don't know why the guy didn't do the thing right away. He was supposed to. This was his job. But he didn't. He, he refused. Maybe, like Jesus said, he did not care about her situation. Ah, she's a widow, whatever. You know, I don't care. Just let her go. But this woman keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. And finally, he gets tired of this. And he says to himself, Jesus says, well, even though this woman's situation doesn't move me whatsoever, I don't care. I don't care about God that I'm supposed to do something for this woman, but I've got to do something. Why? She's wearing me out. And in the Greek, it says, actually, it's a word, it, uh, description, it describes, she's giving me a black eye. It's actually the, the literal translation. She's giving me a black eye. Okay, here's a clue. She's giving me a black eye. Now, we have that expression in English as well. If you get a black eye over something, what does that have to do, do with? It has to do with your reputation. Okay. So if I get a black eye because I did not do the right thing in a situation, that means my reputation has been compromised in the community. Okay. Here's a clue. It's the same as the parable of the friend. Remember Jesus tells the parable of the guy who comes to your house at midnight, he's banging on your door, and he says, oh, you know, give me stuff, food, whatever, uh, because I've, I, I need you to help me out. And it's midnight, and you, and you want to tell the guy, go home or go to the 7-Eleven, whatever. Just don't bug me. But because of your reputation in the community, you see, because if you turn this guy away and don't give him hospitality, your reputation as being a hospitable person in the village goes down, you see. And because of that, yes, even though it's midnight, you'll let the guy in and you will give him hospitality. You will give him what he, what he... Because your reputation is at stake. The judge's reputation was at stake. If I don't give this woman justice, he'll get around in the community that I am unjust. And I pride myself on giving justice. Sure, I'm an agnostic. And sure, I don't care about God. But one thing, I, I, I see myself as an honest, just judge. So I will give justice to this woman. She's giving me a black eye in the community. Interesting. The person with power is the person who does not want to lose his reputation for hospitality or justice in the community. So he acts and he sees that she gets justice to guard his reputation. So what do we conclude then about our God and the situation that you are waiting for? Look at verse 6. And I think Luke, on purpose, used the word Lord here. He says, and the Lord said, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, giving us a conclusion. He says, you know what? Let me give you God's perspective. Your perspective is you're in an unjust situation. You're losing patience with God because he's not acting. He's not fixing it, you know, in the way and in the time that you want. Let me pull the camera back from you a little bit and show you a bigger perspective, which is really what we need when we're in a situation of having to have patience. He uses the classic how much more argument. The how much more argument goes like this. If God feeds birds and clothes flowers, which die in a few weeks or months, this is Sermon on the Mount, how much more, this is the argument, how much more will he feed and clothe you? Oh, you a little faith. Oh, you who have been created in the image of God. 
If this worldly judge who doesn't care about God gives justice to this woman in order to guard his reputation in the community, how much more will your heavenly father bring justice to you? Does God care? Listen to the language Jesus uses about you. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? You have been chosen by God. He describes us as those who cry out to him day and night. He hears you. And then he says he will see that you get justice and that you get it quickly. Or another way of translating it, you will get justice suddenly. Bill Hybels puts it this way. He says, you don't have to pester God to get his attention. You don't have to grovel. You don't have to flail yourself. You don't have to bite your lip and groan and moan. And all those kind of things people do to show God that they really mean business. If one of my kids ever called me and said, Daddy, Daddy, please, please, I beg of you. I petition you. I'm pleading with you to listen to my need. I'd say, time out. I don't like the assumption here. You don't have to go through all those gymnastics. What can I do for you? Nothing in my life is more important than you. What gives me greater pleasure in life than meeting the needs of my children? What? Jesus says God will give us justice quickly. It could also mean suddenly. The idea here is God gives justice when the time is right. And isn't that really what this is about? It's about timing, right? When we want justice, it's about timing. We want justice and we want it now. There's an expression, justice delayed is justice denied. And we believe that. But it doesn't work that way with God. Could it be in your situation that the time for justice has not come just yet? Pull your camera back. God sees the end from the beginning. God has a daytimer and you have a daytimer. God's daytimer is a little bit bigger than yours and mine. Okay, like, you know, I have the year in the front, 2008. God's daytimer says eternity, you know, on it, and it's like this big. Okay, okay. So he's got a plan and he's working it. Justice is coming its way and in its proper time. If a worldly judge can bring justice to this widow, how much more will a perfect God? Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus then tells us something about this God. This is the thing, the twist on this story I never saw before, who we feel does not care. Here's a wrinkle I never saw. The NIV is translated. He says, will he not bring justice? Will he keep putting you off? So in the English, it sounds like God's, he's like this judge, you know, the, the widow comes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll put you off. Yeah, yeah, I know you want that. I, you're putting you off. There's another way of translating that, folks. And I think... In the translation that was read, it came through in Madeline's translation. Could, there's another way of translating. Instead of will he keep putting you off, another way of looking at it is he will be patient with you, won't he? God will be patient with you. What do you mean God will be patient with me? I'm the one that needs patience here. I'm the one that's waiting. And look at the last statement. Jesus turns the tables around. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people who are waiting for him? Or will we have all given up? I thought this parable was about my patience with God. The table's turned around here. In my own struggle and waiting for God to act, Jesus is telling you, you know what? God's being patient with you. 
He invites you to call out to him. He invites you to be patient with him, and he's also being patient with you so that you can learn patience and you can be like him. This is discipleship. God has a plan for whatever you're facing right now. I don't know what it is. Jeremiah 29, that's a famous verse, says, I have plans for you. I have plans to give you hope and to give you a future. He is patient and he's working his plan in his time. Somebody said the wheels of God grind slowly. (laughs) And oh, they're slow sometimes, but they do grind. Okay? God is moving the pieces into position for your situation. Sometimes this could take some years. Jesus is saying, don't give up hope, whatever the situation you face. Do not write people off. Do not give up hope of resolution. These situations may have taken years to develop, and they're not going to get turned around in a real quick time. They might, but they may not. Some of these situations, if we're quite honest, will not get turned around until eternity. But many will be. But ultimately, there will be justice. Things will get resolved. Justice will come in God's time. So disciples of Jesus are those who learn to wait patiently upon a God who is waiting patiently for them. (laughs) We're waiting for each other, I guess. And the only thing we can control in our situation is our own attitude. We can't control God. We can't control the other folks. So Jesus is saying, I think he's saying, give me your day timer. I want to sink it in with mine. Keep keep giving the situation to me and don't give up hope because justice will come in my time. Let's pray together. Father, it's it's difficult even hearing this um, in some ways because we've been waiting for you to act for so long in so many different situations and uh, and yet you you tarry. But we want to submit ourselves to your authority and understand that you have a plan, you're working the plan, and ultimately you always win. And so we take comfort in that. We take comfort, Lord, that we can release situations into your hands. We also need to do our part. And it's not like you just fix everything, but you invite us into the work that you're doing. And, Lord, I invite you into all of the situations that we're facing in which we're waiting for you to act. And it just seems like it's taking forever and things aren't turning around and and things are just dragging out forever. Lord, give us the grace to walk a day and a time and to release situations into your hands. Um, because we do want to become patient like you are patient. You are God of macrothumia, God of patience, and you are working your plan. We don't have to wait forever, but give us grace, Lord, in this time, and to do the things that we are asked to do. And we will be careful to give you glory when we do see justice and, and when things are resolved ultimately by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Nope. Okay. We're going to do a benediction then, which I have right here. Why don't you stand with me? This is 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5. In his kindness, God has called you to his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. After you've suffered a little while, and you have to wait, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. 
and you will place and he will place you in his firm foundation. All power is his forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace.